This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au Good morning and welcome to Anchor Church Online. We are so glad that you have joined us this morning across living rooms all over the city of Sydney, our amazing city, indeed our nation and world. I've even had some of my family from South Africa tuning in from Cape Town, from Mauritius. Hey, if you are tuning in from somewhere really far away this morning, let us know where you're, where you're tuning in. Put a, a comment uh, somewhere so that we can know where you've tuned in this morning. We love the fact that God's Word is being shared all over the world. And uh, thank you for joining us this morning. We've launched a new series in the Lord's Prayer. And this morning we're going to continue as we dig into the very first phrase. We're going to walk through this slowly line by line, sentence to sentence, and unpack the richness of the Lord's Prayer. You know, the first um, memory that comes to mind for me when I think of a prayer that's, that really stands out for me is a, a story from way back in youth ministry days. I remember a prayer from a kid called Aaron. He a kid from a pretty rough background. He'd come to youth group, lived in the back of Mount Druid in the Housing Commission area. And we were having a time of prayer with the senior boys at youth group. And no one had asked him to pray, but he decided to pray. And he prayed something like this. All the eyes were closed. And he said, oh, hey, God, how's it going? Uh, yeah, it's me, Aaron. Uh, and, and I'm with Steve and Nathan and Marlon and... Um, if you could please help me stop the drinks and the smokes and the drugs and help us love you, amen. It was the best prayer ever. I loved it. And I loved it because it was so raw and so real and so non-technical and theological. There's just something really nice about it. Or, or I think about all of the times where, you know, you're in, in a growth group or in, in GC and someone starts to get like the, the unholy giggles in the middle of prayer time. Anyone had that? If that's you, just put your hand up. Just let us know. There's a safe place. You can admit to it. You, you've, you've kind of, you're trying so hard not to laugh and the GC leader's like peeking out and who's giggling and then the whole GC just erupts into laughter. Those are the kind of things that I think of when I think of prayer. Some of the, some of the awkward, raw moments. But you know, the things that we say when we pray, they tend to betray what we really believe about God. You know, the fact that Aaron felt that he had to inform God about who was in the room because God didn't quite know who was there. I don't know how you're going with your prayer at the moment, but if I'm real honest with you, um, sometimes I really struggle. Like I struggle to concentrate. I honestly find it really hard to stay focused on anything. Like if you think Dory had problems, I've got significant problems when it comes to concentrating and just staying focused on a task. And so if I'm not writing or doing something, when I'm praying, my mind just tends to drift and wander and I find it really hard to stay focused. I find it hard um, when I sense that God's not answering my prayers. Like if I'm real honest with you, I wrestle with that, that I'm praying for things that I believe with all of my heart that God wants to answer in line with his will and he says no or not yet, I, I, I find those things hard. Often my busyness, you know, work and family and all of that, my, my disordered priorities make prayer difficult. Now, I don't, I don't know if you, you know, think that that's weird that a pastor would find prayer difficult, but the reality is it's true. The problem with many of our prayers is that they're compartmentalized in our life, that they're I'm disconnected, they're distracted, or at worst, they're just anemic Christianese babble that has 
very little meaning and substance behind it. My question for you this morning is, what if you could pray like Jesus? Like, what if your prayer life was like Jesus' own prayer life, like intimate and connected and effective? I I would love to pray like that. You know, as Luke records his version of the Lord's Prayer, the reason that Jesus gives the disciples the Lord's Prayer in Luke is because the disciples come and say, Rabbi, would you teach us how to pray? They're hungry to learn. They've seen Jesus praying and they want to pray like he does. And the beautiful thing about this series is that we get to be taught by Jesus how to pray. And the Lord's Prayer will do that for us. Our hope for this series is that the Holy Spirit would use this series and use the Lord's Prayer to spark a revolution in your walk with God. And we we honestly mean that. And so this morning, as we dive into the very first petition of the Lord's Prayer, I I want to talk about three things. I want to talk about the paradigm for prayer, the privilege of prayer, and the priority of prayer. I know, three-point sermon, all with alliteration. Can you believe it? So predictable. I don't know what it is, but somehow, like I just think in three-point sermons. I could make a three-point sermon out of the ingredients on the back of a cereal box. It is so hardwired into me from Bible college. Be that as may, that's that's what we have today. The, The paradigm of prayer, the privilege of prayer, and the priority of prayer. So firstly, let's look at the privilege of prayer. That very first sentence there, just before the Lord's Prayer in verse 9 says, pray then like this. It's how Jesus is about to introduce his instructions to the disciples in contrast to the babble of the pagans who thought they needed to just pray, 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 pray in order to get God's attention because he was somehow distracted or in contrast to the fake piety of the religious leaders who were trying to impress all of the people around them and get their attention, Jesus says, no, don't pray like that. Don't pray like that. Pray instead like this. Now, when he says pray like this, he's not meaning that the Lord's Prayer is uh, a constraint to our prayers. That is, you can't pray in any other way other than this. No, the Lord's Prayer is a paradigm to shape our prayers, to form our prayers, to bring our prayers to life and into alignment with God's plans and his purposes. The Lord's Prayer is kind of like the scaffolding around the building of prayer in our life. It provides uh, the structure in order to build our prayers up. It's, it's like the guardrails around the corner on a freeway that prevents us from going off track. When we learn to pray the Lord's Prayer like Jesus intended his disciples to pray, it, our prayers will take shape. We will begin to pray like Jesus. It rescues our prayers from being shopping lists to God about all of the things we need. It stops our prayers from being thoughtless, mindless, Christianese babble that you can just pray at any point without even thinking what you're saying because we're so used to just rolling things off our tongue without even thinking about it. And it rescues our prayers from me-centric, my will be done, my kingdom type prayers. The Lord's Prayer truly shapes our prayers. It's a paradigm. And it's a paradigm and it focuses our priorities on the prayer life and indeed the life of Jesus himself. And so as we unpack the Lord's Prayer over the next few weeks, our hope is that it stands as a mirror to your own prayers and it helps you take a step deeper in your communion, your relationship, in your walk with God. 
And we're going to memorize this Lord's Prayer together. We're going to be memorizing this prayer. And the point isn't just roped repetition, but it, the point is that we would imprint the Word of God on our hearts. Like the psalmist says, I've hidden my, your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We want this prayer to shape the way we think. And so when Jesus says, pray then like this, he's giving us a paradigm for how all of our prayers can be prayed. Secondly, the privilege of prayer. The Lord's Prayer begins like this in verse 9. Our Father in heaven. If you were to read it in the original Greek, it would be paterumon. Or if uh, we were to hear it in Jesus' original mother tongue, Aramaic, he probably would have started by saying Abba or Avun. These are deeply intimate words. Our Father. It speaks of closeness and and confidence to come to God and, and communion with him. It, it is the privilege of someone who is a son or daughter of God, a child of God. This access that we have to God as Father is because of our, our baptismal identity. that We've been baptized into his name, the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's because of our union with Christ that we are now co-heirs with Christ, that we we stand to inherit everything because we've been adopted as sons and daughters into God's family. We have this access because of the presence of the Spirit, according to Galatians 4, 6, cries out, Abba, Father, Daddy. This is intimate language. It's beautiful language. You know the fact that we get to pray to our Father, like the fact that the God of the universe even listens to us and hears our prayers is staggering. But more than that, that we pray our Father is an invitation from Jesus to experience the intimacy that he experienced with his Father. That is, that is mind-blowing. Christian prayer is a deep privilege, the privilege of a son and daughter. What other world religion, what other faith view has a God like that? You know what it means? It means that God is not apathetic or indifferent to your prayers. I, I don't know, many of you are probably working from home at the moment, and uh, work from home is, um, is a challenge. And the best investment that you can have at the moment is a pair of headphones, because the kids are going crazy in the background, and all you have to do is put the headphones in and turn the volume up and, and just completely ignore all of the chaos. right? And that is often the picture we get of the gods of the Greco-Roman world, gods who were indifferent and apathetic and cared less about our concerns. And yet here we have a picture of a father who listens, who's attentive. I love the image that we get from Psalm 116, where the psalmist says that God is the God who bends his ear towards the prayers of his people. He's attentive. He listens. He hears. You know, Jesus prayed Father. He prayed all the time. He addresses God as Father. Actually, more than 70 times in the New Testament, Jesus either prays to or addresses God as his Father. And yet there's only one moment, one prayer, where Jesus doesn't pray to Father. And it's the prayer he prays on the cross. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, I don't really know what theological point to make of that, to be fair. But what I do know is that the only reason that we can pray Father is because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross, that he took our place, that he died as a substitute 
to wipe away our sin and to reconcile us back to God when we were out of relationship, to bring us back together, that we can be have the privilege of calling him Father. It's what N.T. Wright calls the cheeky celebration of God's grace. The cheeky celebration of God's grace. I love that. that we have confidence to come to the God of the universe and say, Dad. Now, I recognize that for many of you, the concept of Father is one that is riddled with pain and brokenness because your experience of your earthly father has been a negative experience. Perhaps your father has been um, you know, physically present but emotionally distant. Or perhaps your father has been physically distant or, or at worst, your father has been abusive. Whatever your experience of your earthly father has been, for many of you, the concept of father is filled with pain and difficulty and trial. And, and you really wrestle to connect with that image of God being father. And what, what often happens is we begin to project our experience of our earthly fathers. And even when you've got a great earthly father, they're not perfect. But we begin to project our experience of our earthly fathers onto God. And I want to suggest to you that that would be a mistake. It's a mistake to project our experience of our earthly fathers onto God. Just as, as much as it's a mistake to say that God is represented by the worst hypocritical Christian out there. Now, our earthly fathers don't show us, <coughs> excuse me, what God's like. In fact, God shows us what fatherhood should be like. You know, the um, American theologian Frederick Dale Bruner says this, The remedy for a bad father is not the still greater removal of any father figure at all. It's the gift of a finally good father and the Lord's prayer offers us that gift that we get to pray our father well the second part of that first line there is we pray our father in heaven now it's not so much about god's proximity where he is located in the universe but about his authority we've already been reminded in matthew 5 34 that Heaven is the seat of God's throne. It's where he rules and reigns. And so this is about his, his authority, his rule, his power, his sovereignty. We are the ones who get to pray to our dad who is all-powerful, who is able, who is capable, and who has all of the resources of heaven at his disposal. You know, I realize that there are a number of you who are waiting on answers to prayer at the moment. Maybe it's a prayer for health prayer for a job, a prayer for a visa, a breakthrough, a prayer for whatever it is for a family member. And it's so easy for us in those moments where God doesn't say yes or where he says not yet for us to believe that that's because God is powerless and impotent, but nothing could be further from the truth. We worship the God of the universe, the God of heaven. He is the miracle-working, all-powerful God. And we have access to him as our father. You know, if the definition of prayer that Arnado gave us last week is correct, and I believe it is, that prayer is communion. It's relationship with God. And, and we have this wonderful privilege of coming to him. Now, one of the hindrances to communion is often busyness. Calvin Miller, in his book, No Hurry, says this profound quote. It says, one barrier to full intimacy with the Savior is hurriedness. 
Intimacy must not be rushed. To meet with the Son of God takes time. We cannot dash into the presence and choke down spiritual inwardness before we hurry out for our one o'clock appointment. No one who hurries into the presence of God is content to remain for long. Those who hurry in, hurry out. You know, if this season of self-isolation and lockdown is teaching me anything, it's, it's been a massive reminder of what is essential. You know, prior to COVID-19, I mean, for me, it seemed like the things that are on my to-do list were an immovable mountain in my life. Up until, you know, five weeks ago when they were completely irrelevant overnight. It's incredible what this season has taught us about what is essential. You know, my calendar, my task list, those things simply are not essential. If this season has taught me anything, it's that the pace of my life and the pace of modern life actually can be slowed. We don't need to be as hurried as we think we are. And so I want to offer you a challenge. How are you going to use, well, how are you using this time, this opportunity that we have in isolation to set in new patterns, to enjoy God's presence, to pray more, to be more attentive to him, to be still? Like, how are you redeeming the time that you used to have as you commuted to work to, to commune with God, to reset your rhythms and to experience more of God? Because what we have, church, is a wonderful privilege to pray to our Father in heaven. The third thing you'll see there is the priority of prayer. The priority of prayer. It says this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, hallow, that's a weird word, right? It's not in our lingo. And if you ask me, it just sounds posh. And I wish they'd used another word at times in Bible translations. But it's there because I think people have uttered this word for centuries. And it's actually a deeply rich word. And it simply means to be made holy, to be made glorious. God, would you make your name glorious and holy? And it's, that's, that request is not there because God lacks glory or lacks holiness. This is a request that God would be seen and be treated as holy and as glorious. That, the, that God would reveal himself in his fullness to the world. And that we would see God, his character, his worth, his sufficiency, his beauty and his glory. That we would behold it. Now, I don't know about you, but often it is so easy when, when we start praying to just jump straight to our shopping list. All of the things that are burning our hearts, all of the things that are on our horizon, all of the things that we want God to intervene with and fix, the problems that we have, it's so easy for us just to jump to those things so quickly. And yet Jesus teaches us before we get to our needs and to be sure God cares about your needs, but they ought to be needs in the context of God's glory, of what is the priority of prayer. You know, this is an amazing invitation. The invitation is that we would participate with God in what he is doing, his cosmic all of time purposes and plans. And God wants to use my prayers and your prayers to achieve that purpose, to achieve his purpose of seeing his glory cover the surface of the earth as the waters cover the sea. And he wants us by participation in the Lord's prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed 
be your name. He wants to use our prayers to achieve his purposes and far from being an interruption to what God is trying to do, our prayers are an instrument in them. That is a staggering truth. But the priority of our prayer is not so much that we would come and have God fix all of our problems, but the priority of all our prayers is that the name of God would be hallowed, made glorious. Jesus is inviting us into his kingdom prayer and in fact his kingdom way of living, a life that is lived for the glory of God. You see, the Lord's prayer isn't just intended to be prayed. It's intended to be lived out in our lives, that we would live lives that would enhance the reputation of God, that would make Jesus famous. You know, prayer is such a, a staggering privilege. But so often, prayer can just feel like a, a duty, a chore that we have to get through. And the invitation of the Lord's Prayer is to move from duty to delight, to move from chore to choice, to I want to do that, I get to do this, I'm enjoying being in God's presence. But can I just offer a, a little word of encouragement to our generation, a generation that feels everything, that doesn't want to do anything unless you're feeling, unless you're vibing it, right? Sometimes you just don't feel like praying. Sometimes it's just difficult. It's hard work. It does feel like a duty. It does feel like a chore. And that should never prevent us from doing that. And the way that we move through duty and chore is to remind ourselves of the wonderful privilege that we have in prayer to address God as our Father. To be reminded of the fact that we pray to the all-powerful God who has all of heaven's storehouses at his disposal. And to pray for his glory. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Church, our prayer is that the Lord's prayer would spark a revolution in your relationship with God. We hope that this word has been an encouragement to you. So God bless you as we turn now to worship.